And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Data, it's everywhere. And according to some, is now the most valuable thing on the planet. But how do you make data-driven decisions? How do you actually create actionable output from data? We're going to talk about that amongst a lot of other things today. I'm really excited because I've got one of... Startup Hustle's top Miami startups with me today. And before I get into that, who I'm speaking with today and, and all of that great stuff, I'm going to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Chatdesk. Is your support team struggling to respond to all your social media comments or customer emails? With Chatdesk, machine learning and human support come together to instantly transform your support tickets into satisfied customers. Get started for free at chatdesk.com or click the link in the show notes. Now back to the show, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about data-driven decisions. And with me today, I've got Albert Beaufidel, and he is the CEO of Smart Barrel. You can go to smartbarrel.io, and there's a link for that in the show notes too, straight out of Miami, Florida, but joining us today from probably kind of cold Toronto, Canada. Albert, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thank you so much, Matt, for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Um, let's before we get into that, how, give uh, myself and the listeners a little backstory about yourself and Smart Barrel. Sure, I guess uh, I guess it's help. It helps a lot, like frame uh, frame the conversation to understand how I ended up coming with the product and where it all started. Um, right when I was, uh, I kind of have like a conventional and a non-conventional story at the same time. I was still in college and I was studying uh, engineering and I wanted to build planes, aeronautical engineer. That was like the typical dream. And then I was approached to uh, to co-found a glass factory. By glass, I mean glass glazing, as in windows and doors. Um, and just it came out of the blue. I had no idea this was even an industry. People did that for a living. I don't think there's a lot of like kids that if you were to go and ask, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? The answer is like install windows. I had no idea this was even a thing. So I took up the challenge. I was fascinated by the industry. I mean, there's so much science. Uh, window moved from being an opening where you see the outside world to now being the walls of the building, right? All those like big glass skyscrapers. So I dove into this and I worked literally on projects all over the world, jumping uh, from one job site to another and seeing small, tiny residential home to billion dollar resorts, um, worked on all sorts. I was fortunate to work on all sorts of projects. I ended up, uh, my entrepreneurial mind started poking me and I'm like, something's off. It doesn't make sense how outdated this industry is. And then uh, mostly what, what, what intrigued me the most was the way the industry is tracking workers when it comes to like headcount, manpower, hours, who showed up, who left. Uh, do I have 10 guys today, 23 guys? Did, did they show up on time? Did they leave? 
still like tracked by clipboards, papers, pencils. And I'm like, this is like millions of dollars. How does that make any sense? Uh, when every other industry, you know, like you order your Uber and you can see that like white Toyota Corolla drive all the way to you in real time. And then you walk into a job site and it's like hammers and drills and like counting people by hand. Uh, so this is kind of when I decided to look into the market, your typical story, couldn't find anything nearly satisfying. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to like uh, wear my big boy's pants and maybe build something. And then this is exactly how it went. I just went to a whiteboard and I said, okay, how can we build something that works? And then understanding the rough roughness of the condition of the job site. We don't have power. We don't have wall. We don't have internet. Okay, we have to pass through all of this. Okay, next. Well, we have a rollover of workers, new workers, the office, the accountant is very far from the job site. So how can we bridge that? And then use technology in what it's meant to be, just a tool that fixes the problem without it being over fancy or over sophisticated. So we aim for something simple yet powerful. And then we came up with a very interesting uh, biometric facial recognition, self-powered, self-connected, weatherproof biometric time clock. Uh, and that was the starting point. And then we realized very quickly that it's just a sensor that collects incredible and impeccable data from anywhere. And then we started building on top of it, on top of it. And this ties up to this very exciting conversation today about data-driven decisions. Yeah, and you've, and you've got a challenge because you're building software and hardware. I mean, you've got an actual IoT device, which you showed me prior to recording. And, you know, this is an actual thing that attaches to something else. And, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't know the actual dimensions of it. I mean, it was, it was significant in size, but still like you were just holding it up. Like it was super light, but I, I've had several guests in the past that, um, you, you have two challenges to solve because obviously you've got to build soft software and then the actual hardware of it. And then there's a lot of other things, the data that goes in it. Now I've actually, become aware recently about the just talking to different founders and different stuff in the construction space. I, I didn't realize that the job site was such a mess for so <laughs> many people. So when it comes to solving these, the, you talk about facial recognition and all these other things, that's usually not where something like that begins. What was the very first problem that you went to tackle? Yeah. So, so, um, you, you know, obviously, you know, the saying ignorance is a bliss. And uh, I didn't know anything about tech and I didn't know anything about hardware. That's why I took up this challenge. Looking back, I'm like, this was the craziest move ever. Building product is not fun. It's not, I mean, it's a lot of fun, but it's not easy at all. Uh, we tried using uh, a lot of like smartphone apps, applications. We went the route that most people with, with common sense would go, right? It's like, listen, piggyback on mobile apps, use geofence, use cameras on tablets. Why do you want to reinvent the wheel? Um, it was never enough, right? Phones get stolen, phones get bugged. You can install another app on the phone that like uh, jeopardize the GPS readings. Now you can clock in from home while thinking you're on the job site. And then there's, there's, there's the technology challenges, which is bucket A, but bucket B is the more problematic one, which is um, humans are smart. They, they can outperform technology, meaning they can turn off the phone, look at you and say, battery died, I can't check in. Go find that argument, right? I broke my phone. It fell yesterday and it broke. I can't check in. I can't report to work. Yada, yada, yada. So you end up with an amazing tool, but has zero usability. Then you have zero data. Then we're back to square one on, on the paper and clipboard. So it's very important to 
really identify the problem and really make sure that the solution is not the first idea that comes to mind and like cook it and break it and then test it endless times. And this is how we move from tablets to iPads to iPhone to Samsung phones to all the way to like sit down and be like, I think we have to build something from the ground up. Like this is not going to fly. So when it comes to the data, is it, is it that what you're analyzing and what you're looking at, does that start with the most simplistic stuff, which is like clock in, I'm here? 100%. Um, 100%. We, 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 we started by saying, hey, if this worker is on site and interacts with the box and we verify that Matt is Matt and that's his face and that's the time and push it up to the cloud, are you happy? And they were like, this is amazing. This is 10 times better than what I've had. I can see this A, in real time. B, it's verified data. C, I can do so much with it. And we sat down and we said, what do you mean so much with it? I said, oh, first I can send this to payroll. I'll get them paid. But B, also I can get my headcount and understand my performance. Were we able to finish this building with 15 guys or 23 guys? And which guys it took? Did it took this crew or that crew? All those like information that were impossible to get answered before, not because they didn't know the questions, but the answers were all um, either too expensive together or too faulty to even process. If people are signing clipboards and pen and paper, how do you even start? Like, it's, you know, the, the typical thing in data, right? Garbage in, garbage out. So the last thing you want is to run a fancy analytics engine on garbage data and then make assumption based on nothing. Yeah. And when it comes to data, you have two different kinds. You have structured and unstructured. And a lot of people that, you know, you hear all this stuff about uh, data is the most valuable thing on the planet. It's not worth anything if you can't create an actionable outcome. Now, unstructured data is just like the raw everything. Imagine just a bunch of numbers, words, all of it. And it's not in what, if you want to picture it, it's not in a spreadsheet. It's not in columns and rows and it's not organized. And anytime you collect data, you got to first begin to structure it. And then you can actually do something with it. But once again, it's not worth anything if you can't do anything on it in a reasonable time frame. And, you know, the, a great example of, of some of this is some of these mega corporations like your phone carrier that just collect terabytes of data every minute or hour. And they've got so much of it that they can't really do anything with it that they'll look back at it later and they'll be like, oh, so all these things occur right before someone quits using our service. Okay, so how do we make how do we how do we arrive at this conclusion at a point where we might be able to salvage that that sale or that deal? So you mentioned with with construction, that's about. Uh, trying to determine how many people are needed to do stuff. What, what, what are some of the other things that, that drive data decisions at, at Smart Barrel? 100%. And, 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 and the, 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 the opportunity in construction is that the, the industry is, is actually officially the second least digitized industry in the world, which means opportunities are huge, but which also means at the same time, that there's almost like everything is a starting point, right? You don't know where to even start. Everything is an opportunity. Do I want to track weather? Do I want to track headcount? Do I want to track the correlation between weather and headcount? Do I want to tra track um, um, headcount, weather, and trade? Are the electrician more efficient when it's raining? Are they less efficient when it's raining? Do I need 12 guys? Do I need 14 guys? Based on schedule, do I have more guys or less guys? Were we able to finish the task? And then you start adding all those variables. 
Are we more efficient in January than in March? Are we more efficient when 20 guys or 30 guys? What is this weird correlation between those three guys when they're working together, nothing gets done? Maybe they're like playing all the time or maybe actually they're just bad crew members. So there's like there's like thousands of questions. And, and the problem is with data is, especially when you talk to people like in construction that are by nature handymen, that are like physical builders, right? Even sea levels, right? Construction is very tangible. Data is this like intangible asset, right? The minute you introduce it, everyone's like, what do you mean um, I don't have enough data? What do you mean data driven? I don't see anything. How come you say this is the most expensive asset that I could have? Do you know that they call it the new gold rush, whatever. So you have to A, go through this educational purpose. And as you said earlier, the biggest trick is collecting the data as the ultimate challenge, but collecting the data is useless. So think about this box, collecting all those information and writing them into couple thousand lines of Excel. It's absolutely useless if I don't have a way to A, digest the data, take assumptions out of the data and display the data. So we, we, we use this metaphor all day, all night. Assuming you're driving your car and then on the dashboard of your car, there's a small screen that shows every second, every tire pressure. It's live, 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 live. It's just displaying all the air pressure of the four tires at all times. It's incredible. It's great data. What do you do with it? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Actually, what you want is not to see any of this data. And what you want is a smaller light that says front right tire low. What happened between the sensor collecting those and the analytics and the questions asked and the processing is is very valuable. But what was valuable to you as a user is just this information. I don't care to be impressed by all those thousands of line items. I need the purpose out of it that says, hey, Matt, your front right tire pressure is low. Now this is step one. And this is when machine learning or AI gets you even further. And now step two is once you have that uh, right pressure low, what do I do? In 2.3 miles to your right, there's a gas station. Go fix it. And this is where you take the user from him driving a car to getting his tire fixed before a puncture, before it blows up and runs into an accident. Why using data? But to the user, the log of 35,000 entry of uh, tire pressure is absolutely useless to him. So when it comes to the way a contractor or a building company would use this, and I hadn't even thought about the weather thing, because that's definitely a component, everything from extreme heat to extreme cold. And then in some things, you just can't do them in the rain. So is that the kind of, is that the kind of the planning that you, that, that smart Bell helps its users with? Yes. And much more think of humidity. There's a lot of material that you apply on the job site that will drastically change the curing time, the processing right. time based on humidity. So if you have anything above 80% humidity, I'm from South Florida, right? Anything in Miami, you're, you're having your 85, 90% humidity, you'd better be notified. If you're doing a lot of epoxy, this might change instead of the curing 24 hours, maybe you need 48. Um, think of thunder. You have thunder and you have crane scheduled that day. So all your day's activity have to shut down. But I know three days ahead that I'm going to have a thunder heavy week. Then I know that my schedule is going to be skewed. I'll tell you another metric that we were even surprised we discovered. Um, as a contractor, you have a lot of subcontractors, which is like companies. So they have the electrician, the carpenter, the plumber. And then your real main job is to make sure everyone is getting their job done and everyone's like moving at the right pace to get... Um, to get the project moving and then nobody's blocking anyone. We realized that there's like this like tiny little metric, 
which is basically, uh, we call it turnover. We realize that when a subcontractor on a week-to-week basis has always new guys introduced to the job site, this presented heavy, heavy delays at the end of the project, which meant those workers are coming in, they're new to the project, they missed the information from the week before, they missed the trade from the week before that, they're getting started brand new, they're slower to cooperate, they don't know who to go to for information. And this was eventually would cause some delays on the project, which at the bottom line would cost the contractor six, seven, and sometimes more figures in terms of uh, in terms of uh, cost, whether it's in delay, whether it's an accident, whether this and that. So this is something that without really going through the grind and building it, you really can't link the dots, right? You can't understand that how is the sensor at the gate that is checking Miguel and Paul and Johnny is going to give me a red flag that the electricians have some payroll trouble. That's why they keep switching their own man. And then six months from now, we might have a delay that uh, that uh, that might cause uh, that might cause us some serious serious financial losses. So those are the things that will like fascinate us. Is that how can we take this like stupid stupid check in at the entrance and link it to weather and link it to schedule and link it to his documents and the safety training and what kind of like same thing low tire pressure warning can we display to the contractor early on to avoid the the him running on a flat tire? Yeah, that's. Uh... Uh, that's very interesting stuff. I, I just watched, uh, I was watching, a, I'm a, kind of a documentary nut and I was watching the building of the Hoover Dam uh, and, in Las Vegas where it's incredibly hot and they had poured so much concrete in there that they actually, I didn't realize this, but if concrete doesn't get below a certain temperature, it doesn't cure properly Does it cure? or it yeah. takes longer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they had a big problem with that. I was thinking about that while you were talking about that, because if it wasn't going to cure properly, it would crack. Um, that's been a hot topic down in Miami. I think they actually just had a building collapse recently, 100%. you know, just, yeah. So, you know, you look at, you, you, you want these, as, as a person living in anything, you want this stuff done properly because it ends up being uh, a problem later. I think this, this, that kind of insight, like you mentioned is, is actionable. So how did you go about, how do you get all of that? Uh, how do you get all that input, all that data? Was it, was it from talking to users or bringing in construction experts? Cause I know one thing is that, um, a lot of, a lot of builders, well, they do things a little differently or they have different ways of approaching it. So how did you go about collecting data that you felt comfortable with? Um, very fair question and the honest answer is going to be all of the above first i did construction for 10 years so there is hands-on boots work hands-on in the industry for way too long second uh clients are the market will dictate what they want your 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 role is to be the catalyst between the information you're getting and how can you process it into something meaningful? Also, I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate. And I have to give credit that a lot of very smart people have started this movement maybe a bit before me or around my time. Meaning, if I was doing Smuggler maybe 10 years ago, even if the technology existed, the, the mindset wasn't ready to apprehend and comprehend the power of data and the power of collaborative data. So you have giants such as Procore, right? They just IPO'd recently at, I think, $9 billion. Uh, they are considered one of the biggest, if not the biggest, project management tool in the industry, right? Their entire mission was, A, let's put 
all the collaboration between all the communication, aka the data and the information between all the stakeholders, the contractor, the superintendent, the architect, the finance. Let's put this on the cloud, which was very disruptive. Let's move out of the paper. Like we're missing so much information, so many mistakes. Let's move this to the cloud. So they had to break this barrier of learning curve to educate the customers and the industry that there is so much value of having this data on the cloud. But what they also did as a byproduct, uh, maybe it was their direct vision, maybe it was a byproduct of their vision. They also educated the market that collaboration is very powerful, right? If you hold your information siloed in your books and I hold my information siloed in my books and he holds his information siloed books, that's great. But if we share them together, we can detect so many problems ahead of time, so many misinformation ahead of time. You thought the window opening was four feet. I've had it at 4.5. I wish we shared this before. We wouldn't have a building with like wrong windows. Yada, 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 yada. So by breaking this model of like letting people loose with sharing their information, we also got built up with this mindset in mind of let's not hoard our data. Let's share it back and forth. So I would take my information and then send it to a scheduling tool. I'm like, listen, I don't know what the schedule looks like. All I'm going to tell you is that you have 13 guys today. Was that what you had planned? And the schedule would be like, no, 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 no. We thought we're going to have 25 guys today. So let's go notify the owner. Same thing for weather. There's a lot of collaborative weather tools. I'm going to say, listen, if I have those conditions of weather, what does that mean? Oh, this means you can't cure the silicone. You can't cure the epoxy. You can't cure this. Okay, thank you, Mr. Weather. And by this collaboration, you take your... Again, Excel sheet of data that technically means nothing, but the right rows and the right columns shared with the right people can give a lot of different insights on what A is going on today, but most importantly, what might happen in the near and long future. With me today, I've got Albert Bofidel. He's the CEO of Smart Barrel. Go to smartbarrel.io and also know that they are on Startup Hustle's 2021 list of top Miami startups. While we're at it, I want to remind you uh, and take a moment to recognize that this episode is brought to you by Chatdesk. Many businesses receive a high volume of social media comments and emails over the holidays. With Chatdesk, you can clear your ticket backlog with best-in-class, 24-7 customer support. Companies who use Chatdesk increase their Facebook ad conversion by up to 15%. For a limited time, you can use Chatdesk for free. Learn more at chatdesk.com or click the link in the show notes. It's kind of cool, man. It's uh, gig economy stuff for customer support. You can choose and pick and train your own people and I have a huge appreciation for that because that is uh, supporting a product is difficult. Now, speaking of things that are challenging and difficult, um, how difficult has it been to scale a hardware and a software business in a rugged environment? Very hard. <laughs> Very hard because uh, we are on our fourth uh, iteration. And we've been like three years in business. So usually in a product, this is unheard of. Uh, but we deal with like also unheard of uh, conditions. Uh, the, the biggest challenge I would definitely say is to deliver a product that is working out of the box because we live in this kind of um, consumable expectations, right? Nobody wants to set up anything. Nobody wants to go through training. You want to open the box, lift it up and be ready to go. At the same time, it's a very 
customizable feature, right? Every contractor, as you had said, has their different requirements. I want it on a turnstile door. I want it on a gate. I want it in the middle of nowhere. I am in Canada as I am now freezing cold, but now I'm in, in, in West Texas and it's literally a desert. So we had to build with all these in mind and it doesn't matter how much energy you put and how much innovation you put. I think we did an amazing, incredible job, but there's always missing ends. So our entire model is to build we release the product and literally the next morning we're building up a list of what else we need to improve so this keeps us like our ultimate competitive edge uh, also the other thing that we're like really fortunate with is we are selling to businesses not consumers uh, which means we're not in the thousands and thousands of units that we need to deploy right any consumable goods they're talking about 30 40 50 thousand units that they need to make our numbers are more controllable, which means we can hold production in-house, we can have our own engineers, such our own devices, and then tweak and adjust as we need as we go, which I think is anyone who's listening who's ever touched hardware understand that this is kind of like a, uh, a blessing to be able to own your own manufacturing and production. And then we've been fortunate to own it from the ground up. We're control freaks. We build everything from the ground up. And uh, this helps us like have a superior product, but at the same time, stay in control on what are the, the challenges and how to fix them in a very, very timely manner. One of my favorite quotes from the history of this podcast is my friend Davion Ross, who's the founder of Shot Tracker, and they put a sensor inside of a basketball. Yeah. And, and, and he said, Matt, there's one thing about hardware. It's hard. why the the why of that is because your ability to update change iterate do a whole lot of stuff is often out of your hands because you look at the history of hardware and you have a lot of things bluetooth and and you know a lot of connectivity that has made a revolutionary uh increase in how well it works and your options but at one point you didn't so uh, I'm sure all of that stuff is quite welcome. Uh, so with, with the hardware part of it, have any of the supply chain or chip shortage woes affected you guys? Of course. Uh, I, I, I think the entire world has been affected by it uh, for reasons that we may or may not understand, for reasons that are super obvious or not super obvious. Uh, again, uh, we, we had adopted, and, and I, I cannot necessarily take full credit for it uh, because maybe it's more luck, which I would love to take, but we built everything exceptionally modular. And the main idea was that we wanted to always stay ahead uh, of the latest and greatest technology. So every component is isolated on its own, which at the time, the main purpose of this design was to enable us to iterate as we go faster. New camera modules, fine plug and play new modem we're moving from 4g to 5g easy plug and play and new processing plug and play but the way it helped us is that oh a component's out of stock maybe we can iterate to this component and then just move on very quickly so the purpose was to stay ahead but it served us a bay in this like okay some components were on like some 80 weeks lead time i mean absurd amounts of like lead. i won't be in business if i have to wait for 80 weeks so luckily we were able to iterate and move forward and, and adding to what you said earlier, uh, yes, hardware is exceptionally hard. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've had PCBs literally catch fire on my desk because I like plug the red instead of the blue or whatever. We're testing something stupid or a new component and it's only five volt and we put 30 volt and pff, we have a small uh, uh, lightning inside the office. 
Uh, we've had also other challenges, which are um, doesn't matter how smart you and your industrial designer are and everyone. Uh, we had frogs inside some of our devices. How did they get in? I have no idea. But then the device stops working and we open it and there's like four frogs jumping around. So this is something that I don't think an industrial designer can look into it. I don't think like, I mean, there's a shipping, there's like tickets in our ticket that are like absurd, like a, like a web being built inside, like spider web being built inside and covering the camera. So you have to open and then have a good conversation with the spider and say, do you mind building your web somewhere else? Because we need to check in the workers. So it's, it's, it's especially with this rugged environment. You have the snow, the mud, the frosting, the dust, um, and everything that you can't even think about, right? All those like insects building up inside of it, humidity, frosting, um, frogs populating inside a box. What do you do with it? Do we call animal rescue and how to deal with all this like nonsense? You hope it's not an endangered frog because you might get your workplace shut down over three of them. It's, uh, you know, what your comments there were making me think about a couple of things. So first off, as an entrepreneur, you have to try to develop the ability to see around a corner or to walk or run or dance in between raindrops, uh, which is a challenging thing. And I always reflect back on the best definition of genius that I've ever heard. And it's a comparison between talent and genius. So a talented person can hit the target that everyone sees. A genius hits the target that no one knew existed. And that's where as, and it's true, you know, if you think about it, there's a lot of really talented people and they can do a lot of stuff and you hope to get those people in your organization, but either yourself or someone else, you have to be able to see around a corner or like, you know, and, and sometimes you're right about that and sometimes you're wrong. And those can be very, very, very uh, uh, different outcomes. And, you know, like I said, is there's so many, it's the visionary people that, that are finding solutions and, you know, hitting the target that no one else can see. Uh, along the way, you usually get called crazy a little bit or doubted, or you have to oversell your opinion on something. But then, you know, like I said, sometimes it, it works out and sometimes it doesn't. So I, I want to back up. Uh, you, you About 10 minutes ago, you were talking about getting people started on this. And for those that listen regularly, you know that I'm a nut when it comes to onboarding. Because like you said, people don't want to learn how to do stuff anymore. They don't want to, they don't want to figure it out. They want it to be intuitive and tell them what they need to do next, what their options are, not think about it. I think that's the future of not only signing people up for services. You look at Amazon. I mean, you've seen them uh, progress over the years to where you're just like a one-click buy. The more steps you remove out of the process, the more success you're going to have. Has that so you talk about bringing something highly technical, highly data driven, things with facial recognition, machine learning, and all that into an industry that on many days still pounds hammers and nails, you know, with the same way that you know the very first uh, settlers in the United States were building homes. Uh, how do you, how, what, what have you done to increase adoption or what have you learned along the way that made it easier for people to embrace the new? This is an amazing question. And I genuinely believe this can be like a series of podcasts. I mean, not just one. It's just like, a series oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. So, yeah. so I'm yeah. going to try as much as possible to stay brief because I'm very opinionated. <laughs> And, 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 and here's my high-level philosophy about it, okay? Uh, 
every business has a challenge and 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 things never get easier it's the bucket of challenges keeps moving to a, a different place right you always have to deal with a challenge i feel nowadays building an iot solution is not as complicated as 20 years ago because 20 years ago components were more scarce technology was outdated yeah, yeah. now it's like everything's off the shelf you move fast i mean the box that i built now is state-of-the-art technology it would have cost me like 10 times more if this was built 10 years ago right so this is a win where are we losing we're losing that we live in a world where you have on demand real time zero effort consumer owns everything consumer is always right mentality right not there's zero tolerance from all aspects i don't want to wait two minutes to see my data i want it to refresh instantly i don't want to wait for anything i don't want to deal with error I, like we don't have an error log meaning if there's an, something wrong with the device we debug it before the, even the customer sees it because the customer doesn't even want to call us and say the device is showing error 10235 which is like standard engineering diagnostic since the existence of time. People want something that works out of the box and they have zero tolerance, zero tolerance to debugging, zero tolerance to assisting, zero tolerance to anything. Uh, and this is the enemy of innovation and this is the enemy of startups, right? When you're a startup, you're buggy, you're tweaking, you're testing, you're launching as soon as you can. And then with such higher standards, now you're like stuck in this like chasm. It's like, should we release now? Should we not release now? Should we wait a bit more? But we better need, need to have the feedback. So what we end up doing is broke our heads against the wall and slammed it against the wall so many times until we really figured out a way that it's nowhere near, but as close as off the box tool. You open the box, you install the device, you power it on, it figures out its own internet connection, it figures out the GPS, it figures out the location, it links itself to the proper project. Even for facial recognition, we didn't even require for you to upload any picture of any worker. The system has a self-learning mechanism that basically takes the pictures as they come in and stitch them up and compares them to a phone number and tries to estimate who is Matt and who is Paul and who is Louis, and if anyone's trying to body punch on behalf of someone else. I mean, five, 10 years ago, the IoT would have been exceptionally harder, but I could have asked everyone to upload a picture and they'd be saying, thank you. This is easy. We're going to have someone and it's going to take us six weeks onboarding and we're going to onboard it properly and we're going to get running. Today, it doesn't work. Technology is much easier, but now getting a customer to like your product, everything, every button, every UI, everything has to be click, instant, smooth, even though they were dealing right before you with a clipboard. It's not like they're moving from clipboard and they're appreciative of whatever you give them. It moves from clipboard, but this better be the state of the art or else I don't need it. I mean, that's the business we're in, right? It's like the challenges we have to tackle and then uh, we have to go through them one by one. But it's very important to identify that orientation is probably the new products challenges across the board. I mean, SaaS, software, cloud, how smooth is the onboarding experience? It's probably 30% of the value of your product. I've created a one rule system that helps with this when it comes to building anything. Rule one, is this annoying? <laughs> if the answer is if the answer is anything other than no, you have more work to do. And you know, you can build tools and build things, all of it that accomplishes a ton of stuff, but if there are if there's something annoying about it, your level of adoption will plummet. And, you know, you just talk about, and I, I get into this a lot because at full scale, and if you're interested about what we do, go to fullscale.io. 
Um, you know, we build a management platform. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's similar to what you do, but it does some of the same thing. It tracks time and availability and what you're doing and reporting and a few simple things that, they go with that. And, you know, as we build it, we'll look at like the administrate, the administrative side. And, you know, like I just, I just got an update on something that prevented a page from reloading every time a specific function occurred because I was said, but think of this from the administrator's standpoint, they might have to do this 200 times a week. And that would drive me absolutely crazy. Just like sitting there and it was, it really wouldn't have seemed like a big deal to some people, but you got to talk to the folks that use what it is you do. And like, I always lead with that question, what annoys you yeah. about this? And, and that's the most important thing to tackle, whether it's setup or like, I don't know. I don't know if you can solve that problem as a creator, then you're going to win on a lot of days. Now, once again with me today, I've got Albert Bufidel, and he is the CEO of Smart Barrel, smartbarrel.io. There's a link in the show notes for that. There's also a link to Chatdesk. And a quick reminder for me that once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Chatdesk, where you can supercharge your support team instantly, transform social comments, DMs, emails, and chats into conversations for a limited time. You can get started with Chatdesk for free. Check it out at chatdesk.com once again chatdesk.com link in the show notes. All right. So I like to end my episodes of Startup Hustle with what I call the founder's freestyle. I say my episodes. I'm not the only host of the show. If you listen regularly, you have come across episodes by Andrew Morgans. Andrew is the CEO and founder of Marknology. That's an Amazon brand accelerator. He has a weekly show where he talks all about Amazon and e-commerce. Also, check out shows by Lauren Conaway. Lauren is the founder of Innovate Her. And really just handles so many of the topics that I am not great at doing myself. So thank you, Lauren. Now back to the Founders Freestyle. Albert, I like to give my guests a chance to, to, uh, to do a little freestyle at the end. I prefer advice that, that you would give to other founders and also a chance to right any wrongs that we have made during the show or make any comments or things that you might have left out that uh, are lingering. I know we kind of blaze through these episodes pretty quickly. So there's sometimes some forgotten things that we get a chance to address. And also, you know, maybe anything that stood out during our conversation. I, I, I guess the best way to close this, and, and, and maybe if I can take this opportunity to, to give kind of a, an overall advice, um, I've, I've been cr criticized long enough uh, too many times that I'm more on the pessimistic <laughs> end of things. I'm not like high-fiving people and like pushing them into entrepreneurship. Um, it, it, it is a grind. There is a lot of work, but for me, it's the only path. I, I would do it all over again, whether it's hardware or whatever it takes. I, I, I would give the only advice I would give, and I see a lot of entrepreneurs at the beginning rushing into building a solution that functionally works. And then trying to then later on add the experience and the usability or whatnot. I think in today's era, things are upside down. Functionally work is not good enough. You need functional and amazing experience to even have anything that you can even sample or demo on the market. The bar is much, much higher. Um, all those like scrappy engineers trying to put something in two weeks and launch it in the market doesn't work well anymore. So anyone who has an idea, who wants to test it, a mobile app, a device, it is, You'd better think of exactly what you said. What is annoying? 
and what would be annoying tomorrow, what would be annoying in three years, and try to solve it from literally day zero. It's a new challenge, but it's the new era we live in, and hence why uh, there is even more opportunities ahead. Well said. I think one of the things that stood out, well, first off, saving money is making money. Um, I, I think so many people are are revenue driven and they're not necessarily looking at the other side of things. And that's where and how do you spend your money? Uh, you look at things like construction and, you know, if you have 12 people sitting there just sucking up your time clock and getting paid and they're not doing anything because they're waiting for something else to occur first. Hey, that's money that you could use somewhere else. And ideally those people would probably like to stay busy too. So, uh, and overall, I, I think as I continue my journey as a host of this show, I just continue to, uh, on some days I, I sit back and I think, man, are all the good ideas taken? And then I continue to talk to folks. It's easy to think that, you know, it is on some levels because over the last 15 years, I feel like everybody started a startup. And then I have to remind myself that most of the people that I know are entrepreneurs. So that's true maybe in my world, but not everywhere else. But, you know, I have conversations regularly with so many people. You look at something like construction and the number of, you know, like there's 10,000 different things just in construction that need to be solved, fixed, improved, done better. And it really just I think it's invigorating for the young entrepreneur. I'll, I'll go with you on the comment about feeling kind of pessimistic because I actually, the, one of the common asks in my life is, hey, I'd love to get your opinion on my idea about and then insert whatever. And, and I tell people, I actually even have rules around it now. I say, okay, I'm not going to argue with you about whether I'm right and you're wrong. You ask for my opinion, I'll give it to you. And then two, you can't get mad. You, I, I can't, I don't want you upset with me if I don't tell you what you want to hear. So some of that ends up breaking hearts or seeming pessimistic, but there you need to know what you're getting into as an entrepreneur. It's not an easy thing. And social media and so many other things make it look like it is because they show you the 1% of the wins and not the 99% of the bullshit. Just show me that guy crying at three in the morning because he woke up wondering if he's crazy going broke or if every decision he made was wrong. Because that is, to me, more identifying of what it can be like as an entrepreneur on some days. It's mentally grueling and it's not for everyone. So if you reach out for advice or input on from someone, let's just know what you're getting yourself into. Because you know, like much like Albert said, it's a, it's a pretty refined world. Like the days of like, Hey, we're going to build our MVP and have it out there for public adoption within 30 days. That was 15 years ago. That's people have a higher level of expectation for a ton of different things. It doesn't mean you can't build an MVP in 30 days and put it out for some adoption that's still recommended, but you know, overall, like most startups, they're not acquired immediately. They're usually seven or eight years old and there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that went into it. So, you know, and then on the topic of data, figure out how people want to use it and, and talk to the users. If you're thinking of a, about a data driven anything and, you know, really in the end, you can collect all the data in the world, but if you don't do shit with it, it's worth exactly that shit. It's, it's gotta be about, a reasonable outcome and you making a change that either drives revenue, saves money, 
or creates peace of mind, which is like a third category of revenue that doesn't show up on paper, but might be more valuable than the other two. So, you know, in the end, without peace of mind, nothing else has much flavor. And knowing that you have, like in your case, hey, my people are actually there at the site. You can't be everywhere all the time, you know? So I think that there's a, there's a, there's a hidden, a hidden value of peace of mind that, often does exceed more revenue or saving money. So try to find that yourself and make sure you don't violate rule one. Is this annoying? If the answer is even maybe, then you have more work to do. All right, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Go to smartbarrel.io. See you next time, folks. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.